God's word for us is from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16. You can follow along. It's projected and also printed in your worship folder on page 4. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is the Word of God. I invite you to uh, take notes today on the sermon notes that are, are inserted in the worship folder. If you're listening at home, watching this video, you can find the notes on our website, holyword.net. If someone asked you, who do you admire? And you answered, well, I admire myself. What would they think of you? Our culture is infatuated with self-image and self-esteem. I want to talk about that today, especially as it relates to Jesus. Esteem, if you look it up in the dictionary, means to regard with admiration. So if you have self-esteem, it means you admire yourself. This reminds me of Stuart Smalley. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Right? Hit another, Debbie hit that again, and we'll see Stuart's picture there. Right? There he is. Stuart says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Jesus says, lose yourself and deny yourself. Jesus says, lose being good enough. Jesus says, lose being smart enough. Jesus says, lose needing people's approval. And if you don't, Jesus says, you lose me. You lose your soul. You lose salvation. So which is it? Uh, What Stuart says or what Jesus says? There's, There's definitely a rub that we see from Jesus in his words and his actions when it comes to self-esteem and self-image. Following Jesus is, is just conflicts with self-admiration. We can't get around that. Let, let me put it this way. If you want to follow Jesus, I'm going to tell you a secret. There's someone who gets in the way of that. Okay? Pay attention here now. This is important for the rest of the sermon. When, when we want to follow Jesus... There's this person who gets in the way. 
And I'm going to help you understand that this morning, because guess what? That person who gets in the way of you following Jesus, right? They lie to you. They, uh, they convince you to cheat. They, uh, they lead you into sin. They trip you up all the time so you can't follow Jesus. That person is right here in this room, this very day, on this Back to Church Sunday. I brought them here so that you could see them and deal with them. As a matter of fact, they, uh, yeah, this is... They're right in, they're sitting in your row. Look, look down your row. Look and see. You see them? They're in your row. As a matter of fact, they're in your chair. It's you and it's me. I'm the most difficult person in my life and in my path of discipleship as I want to follow Jesus. All right, that's the bad news. But man, we got some good news today, all right? Here's the good news. Jesus doesn't admire himself. I'm going to show you that Jesus doesn't have self-esteem. Well, here, listen to these words. He says it. And this is great news. This is verse 21. Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus wasn't into his own self-esteem. Now, wrap your head around that for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, the only one to ever live on this planet perfectly, the CEO of the universe, the one who can do miracles, who can feed the 5,000, who can raise the dead, he's not enamored with his own image, but he's enamored with the cross. Jesus doesn't walk into a room and say, here I am. Jesus doesn't look into a mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Jesus looks at his followers and says, I must suffer. Jesus doesn't admire himself. Jesus admires the cross. That's, that's where he's going to die. We're going to get to that later. Jesus is attracted to the cross like Luke Skywalker is attracted to the Death Star. It's big and it's bad and it's ugly and it's terrible and it's evil and it kills people and it's the only option is the only way. Jesus admires the cross. So, I want to I pull apart those words a little bit that, that we just read. Um, Jesus, I must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. I, I want to show you, just pause for a little bit. We're going to be a crockpot and not a microwave and slow down and, and just let absorb these words a little bit, okay? So hang with me. They're powerful words. Uh, I must go to Jerusalem, Jesus says. Jerusalem in that day, just like today, is a hot spot for religious animosity. And it was especially a hot spot for Jesus and, those, and, and his enemies. His enemies were the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law. Religious professionals were his enemies. Why? Because these men admired themselves. 
these men admired their church positions and the recognition that it gave them. These men admired people admiring them. But most of all, here's what these men admired. They, they admired the idea that if a person is good enough and smart enough, that they're right with God. And Jesus had been telling them they're not good enough and they're not smart enough on their own to be right with God. And they hated him for it. That's what made them his enemies. And he knew it. And he knew they were bound to kill him. He knew he was walking into his own murder scene like a sheep walking into a pack of hungry wolves. Jesus said that he must suffer. Suffering isn't optional. Suffering isn't a side dish for Jesus. And the, and the main entree is something else, and he can decide whether to get it or not. It's, it's not an elective course. He can decide whether to take it. Suffering is the entree. Suffering is the cup that God the Father presses to the lips of his Son and says, drink. And not just a little. He must suffer many things. A long, and not just a week of pain. We'll watch the movies about Jesus, right? They'll show him being whipped and all bloody and, and sad and on the cross. Not just a day. Not just on the cross. Not just that week, that, that few days, a long life of trouble and sorrow on this messy planet. But then Jesus is focusing when he's saying these words on Jerusalem, right? Many things. Spiritual, emotional, and physical trouble that overwhelms him. A big group, many things, lots of people who hate him who disrespect him, who do not approve of him, who spit at him and cry, crucify him. Because <laughs> he claimed to be God. He, this Jesus claimed to offer full and free forgiveness to sinners. He told parables like the parable of the prodigal son. And what just irked his enemies is that, that Jesus offered full and free forgiveness to them as if they were sinners. They're, but they're church people. They're good church people with high morals and they do good things. Who is he to say that they needed to be forgiven? And then he forgives the scum sinners who aren't even church people. Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him. And it all was the Father's plan. Jesus doesn't admire himself. Jesus doesn't put up a fit here. He doesn't look at his disciples and justify himself. He doesn't, he doesn't rise to his own defense. Hey, listen, disciples, i got to tell you something. The, God the Father is being so unfair. I do not deserve this. He is telling me that I must go to the cross. But why me? I'm, I'm the best son. I've been obedient. I'm perfect. Why, why is this happening to me? He doesn't point the finger at other people and say, you're, you're really the problem. 
He doesn't admire himself. He admires the cross. He must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. When Jesus says that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, those are the end of his days. And, and he's, he can see that the end of his days, this is not like a retirement plan where he gets a good pension. He goes to a retirement home somewhere, watches reruns of Wheel of Fortune until he dies in his sleep peacefully. Uh, this is murder. If you knew you were going to be murdered at a place and a time and it was going to be really painful and ugly and bad, would you go there? Jesus did. He knew he would taste his own blood. He knew he would taste the spit of the Roman soldiers who crucified him, probably mixed with a little booze. That's what they did on a Friday afternoon when they were tired of a long week and had to crucify criminals. He knew he would feel the cold iron of the spikes on his hands and his feet, stapling him to the cross. He knew he would face the prince of this world, the devil himself. He knew he would be suffering for all of your sins, the ones you admit and the ones that you don't. The ones you just did one time and you're done and the ones you do every day. And he knew that we wouldn't always appreciate him for it. And he knew that we would be slackers when it comes to following him. And that we would have too little of faith. He knew it all. And he said, I, I just got to do this. I must suffer many things. Jesus doesn't admire himself. Jesus admires the cross. And now it gets interesting because Peter enters this, the conversation. Right? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Peter is saying, you must not. Jesus says, I must do this. Peter says, you must not do this. Jesus doesn't admire himself. Jesus admires the cross. Peter doesn't admire the cross. Peter admires himself. Lord, what's this, this suffering business? This is not, Lord, this is not you. And, and know what? It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, Jesus. What's going to happen to our group? What's going to happen to the 12? Who's going to lead our Tuesday night small group Bible study? Who's, who's going to heal all the people? Who's going to do all the miracles? Jesus, who's going to give us our place of recognition to take over for the chief priests and the elders and the teachers of the law? Who's going to put us 12 disciples in charge of the church finally so, we, so the church can get it right? Jesus, if you're gone, if you're killed, I'm going to suffer too. I don't want that. This will never happen to me, is what Peter really meant. It's all about you, Peter, isn't it? You don't admire the cross. You admire yourself. I find myself in Peter, too. Do you? Jesus, I'm a pastor. And my truck breaks down? When I'm trying to go to the hospital 
and visit someone and bring them your word? Jesus, my truck breaks down? Really? I don't deserve that. Oh, really? So what am I saying? Someone else does? You, you people, you deserve to have your vehicles break down. But I don't. Do you see us? Do you see me in Peter? Lord, why is this happening to me, we cry, with, with entitlement in our heart and our voice. I, Jesus, I don't deserve to have, be having this happening to me. I don't know why I'm having such a bad day. I don't know why I have to struggle with this. I don't know why this person is such a pain in my life. Jesus, what's going on here? Certain other people deserve to have that, Jesus, but not, but not me. Lord, this will never happen to me. I should not be suffering a cross in my life. But you, Jesus, absolutely, I'm glad you suffered the cross. That's, that's Peter and all of us. We're infatuated with the world's idea of self-image and self-esteem. We're intoxicated with ourselves, with human concerns that Jesus rebukes Peter for, now, here's what the Bible says about human concerns, right? It uses the word world, meaning our society, our culture, and here's what the Bible says. First, this is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. If I'm infatuated with, with what our culture tells me about self-image and self-esteem, with the world's idea of me being good enough and smart enough and doggone it, people like me, and, and needing to fill my heart and my soul with people's approval and with, with convincing myself that on my own I'm good, I'm smart. The Bible says that I'm not in love with the fa- God, the Father. And he, he has love for me, but it doesn't fill my heart. I can stand in the way of God. In that one small way, I'm bigger than God. Bigger than Jesus. In that one small way, I can, I can say to him, thanks but no thanks. I, I don't need your forgiveness, your grace. Why, why would I? I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. People like me. You see? Uh, I'm going to show you something. Self-image. Sorry, I'm shining those spotlights at you. I can get some of you right there. Yeah. Now you, now you know what I see the whole time I'm on stage. If that self-image right there, I'm looking at me, and, and if that's my answer to life's biggest questions, if that's how I know I'm right with God, I can look in the mirror like Stuart Smalley and say, I... I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. People like me. And the frames of this mirror, whatever fits inside it is my God. And I'm looking at him. That's a puny God. That's a puny God. Is that God stronger than cancer? Can that God raise people from the dead? 
Is that God able to take your sins and smash them so that they never haunt you again? No. That God can. That God on the cross, love held him there. I must go to that cross for you and you and you and you and you and you and for the world. And so, be careful of these. Use them cautiously. When you look in them, for life's meaning and purpose and your image and identity. Tell you what, here's a Bible verse, and it's going to help. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, that's punishment, right? Are you looking for a way to get out of the punishment of, of sin's guilt and shame that come at us so heavily and so often? Are you looking to get rid of that? Listen to that, what the Bible says. There is no condemnation or punishment for those who are seeing themselves in the mirror. For those who are in Christ Jesus, Jesus wants to be your mirror. Find yourself in him. Lose yourself in his prodigal love. Like that old Lutheran song. There's some old Lutherans here. Not all of you are old or have been Lutheran a long time, but some of you qualify. On my heart imprint your... Well, you could have sung it, but okay. Image. All right? On my heart imprint your image. Blessed Jesus, King of grace, right? So Jesus, uh, uh, put your image on me, not this. Jesus, let me admire your cross. Let it change my life, my world, me. Here's another verse. I'm going to project this one for you. Galatians 2 verse 20. Put this in your top 10. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? When Jesus is your mirror, when Jesus is your image, you're not you anymore. When Jesus is your image, you see you in him, and he is your identity. His is the only approval you need, and you have it. You don't have to worry about being good enough. He considers you holy and perfect because he paid the price for your sins. When he died on the cross, you're forgiven. You don't have to worry about being smart enough. None of us are, but he is. And when you find yourself in him, and his image impacts your life. It changes your world, changes your identity. Um. We have, a, uh, we have a small group that I lead that meets on Thursday nights, and uh, our group is called Jesus Loves Me. And uh, this, is our, this is our little logo kind of picture thing, right? And, uh, and this is a special guy who comes to group with us every Thursday. You'll meet him if you want to come to our group. His name is Fisher, and uh, 
I'll tell you more about him if you come. He's not the important one. But uh, when, when newcomers come to our group, we welcome them this way. We say, Hi, I'm Pastor Darren. Jesus loves me and he, and if you're in the group, can you finish that for me? And he. We don't know some of these people who come to our group and we say that too. I don't know if they've been on the Texas coast looting homes or if they've been in a kayak saving people in the flood in Houston. Uh, I, I don't know how moral they are. I don't know if they've cheated on their taxes or cheated on their spouse. I don't know if they're porn addicts. Uh, we, we don't know any of that, but we say, Jesus loves me and he... Because Jesus loves everybody. Jesus went to the cross to pay for the sins of everybody. Hi, I'm Pastor Darren. Jesus loves me. And he loves you too. I can say that because the Bible says that. Um, we are Jesus must, right? Jesus just had to go to the cross for us. He couldn't let us down. He wouldn't. Make him your must too. Jesus, there's nobody else that can fill my heart like you do. Not even my closest loved ones, not even the best spouse in the world that I'm married to. She cannot, Jesus, be to me what you are in my heart and my life. Jesus, I gotta have you. Uh, Jesus, I, I need to listen to your words so much every day. I got, uh, it's so confusing. I, I need wisdom and guidance. I must. I just, I can't see a day going, Jesus, without me being in the scriptures. I, I have to pray to you, Jesus. I need to love you and worship you and obey you and go and, and witness for you. Jesus, you're my must because I am yours. I want to share with you uh, for a closer here. I know I'm giving self-esteem a bad rap, uh, but I believe rightly so. We need to be cautious about what that looks like and what it is in our lives. And, and make sure it's more Jesus-esteem and self-esteem. I want to give our guests especially a picture of, of how we teach and preach and how the Word of God and Jesus' impact in our life is so important. So I'm just going to read to you a quote, and, and we take it from a devotion book that we're using here at Holy Word Pflugerville that our people are reading every day called New Morning Mercies. And uh, I'm just, uh, just stealing this because it's so good, but I want, I want to end with this quote. You'll do it a hundred times a day. You're constantly trying to make sense out of the situations and experiences of your life. We all have this inner drive to make sense. So we're all in a constant conversation with ourselves. And he says, most of us have learned to not use our lips or people will think that we're crazy, but we all do this. The things you say to you about yourself, about God, and about life are very, very important because they are formative of the way that you act and react to things God places in your life. You are either remembering God's grace or you're not. Ultimately, human rest is not found in measuring the size of your righteousness, your strength, and your wisdom against the size of what you are facing. No. 
Rest is found when you compare the size of what you're facing to the person, presence, character, power, and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, what a powerful message you send us today about your Son that you sent to die and to rise for us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Bless us today, first and foremost, in Jesus becoming bigger in our hearts and in our lives, in Jesus finding his appropriate place there so that everything else in life is in its right place too. Amen.